Welcome everyone to Junction City Podcast. I'm John Miles. With me today is Colby Peterson and our special guest Ian Hewton. Elizabeth Warren came to Salt Lake and Scooters came to Ogden. Meanwhile, the Mueller Report is out and Gramercy Elementary is out. <laughs> so it is. So what about you guys? Did either of you see Elizabeth Warren? I didn't go down there. Yeah, I saw Dan had he posted some photos, but um, yeah, but I saw that it was it was packed crowd. Yeah, she, so she was down at the depot in Salt mm-hmm. Lake, and uh, I watched a little bit of the live stream. Some folks from the Salt Lake County Democratic Party got to be a part of the whole you know shindig, and uh, it seemed like it was a good time. Like I said, good turnout. People were excited. So, uh, so, so I think was I think it, it like Q and A? Was it just a speech? I don't know. It huh. seemed like definitely like people got to ask questions. So like huh. Tyrell Agard, who's now the first vice chair for Salt Lake County Dems, uh, he kind of led the thing. So I think he was the one kind of like taking the questions from the crowd, talking to Elizabeth Warren, and it seemed like she did a lot of like the the like rock star thing where like after the show you go and hang out with the fans right because uh-huh, like right. almost everybody I know in politics on social media had a photo right. with her right, right. If, if you went you had a photo with her I, yeah I don't think I heard anything about what she said but I saw a whole lot of pictures of her yeah people I know what well, one thing that she did say that I noticed that the news covered was she kind of rolled out her um, public lands policy oh and one of the big things was that she was interested in rescinding what Trump had laid out for Grand Staircase Escalante and uh, Bears Ears National Monuments oh. so there was some criticism in the, in the media about you know exactly how she was gonna roll that out and, and stuff but I think that was part of the reason why she came to Utah specifically so recognizing that you know we're kind of the epicenter for that battle I think is wise on yeah, her part smart. yeah. I don't even. What did you see? I didn't get a chance. I was at work all day. Yeah, so. I don't blame me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wednesday in the afternoon. Come on. Right. Well, what about the scooters? You guys been riding the scooters? I've been riding the scooters. You've been on it. I've been riding the hell out of the scooters. <laughs> oh, that much? <laughs> yeah. I've been like all every night this weekend. I was like texting people I know. Hey, do you want to go get drunk and ride the scooters around? No takers <laughs> yet, but it's gonna happen. I've seen too much data. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Does that sound reckless? Orthopedics are applauding. I love these things. Yeah. yeah. People getting wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. You got. I mean, it's like anything. You just got to be paying attention. So yeah. Driving down true. a dark street without a helmet in the dark. Yeah. Uh-huh. You get owned. It's going to end badly. I yeah. did take one turn too sharp and kind of went off it and had to, you know, catch myself do, on do the street. And catch and, up. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I mean, it was tough. 15 miles an hour. It's not easy to it's run that fast, fast. It's fast enough. Yeah, right. It'll, it'll get you from A to B. I mean, a lot of cities have done it. And I remember, I think I, I, think I was actually in Santa Monica when they first came out illegally in Santa Monica. Oh. Because they oh. just kind of dump them in the street and like, wow, this is great. And <laughs> people are out and doing it and they're riding against traffic, riding on the oh. sidewalk. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, you can't do and that. <laughs> the people are learning that there are some rules that you really ought to follow. Right. Um, the sidewalk thing is something Ogden's going to have to address because it quickly becomes an ADA issue. San, well, San Diego's actually getting sued because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. And where, I mean, they're not really durable as far as like where the sidewalk is rough, it'll shake and kind of, I yeah. mean, you have to yeah. really hold yourself up. Yeah. I mean, as an engineer, I'm, I look at them and say, well, why didn't you just make the front wheel bigger? Yeah. Because then right. it can go over stuff. But if you make a three inch wheel and you're going to get crushed by a two, you know, a two inch mm-hmm. rock. Whatever. Yeah. Even a lip like on a driveway will. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to go over the front. Whereas <laughs> oh, you wow. put a big wheel on it. That's why people are riding 29ers instead of the mm-hmm. ancient, you know, 26s. <laughs> yeah. I still ride. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a 26. <laughs> you know, wow. Paid for. <laughs> yeah, because that's one of the things that they do say. They're like, oh, you're not supposed to ride on the sidewalk, you know, which I always thought was kind of a weird transition because like, you need to ride in the bike lane. But then when you're done, do you just like walk it up to the sidewalk? Because they have to be parked on the sidewalk. Uh-huh. So I don't. 
but not uh, how's that a, work? But not in front of a doorway. But there's no, lots of right. Them. Again, there's just be smart about it, right? And they're not that heavy though. So. Are they not? Yeah, yeah. So it's not a big deal to get from the bike lane onto the sidewalk, and you mm, probably yeah. should. That is that is the goal. Well, yeah, and it, since it's downtown, it's all it's like in the lane where the trees are and stuff. That's where they get parked instead yeah. of out where people are walking. Yeah, but you do have to kind of walk it up the curb. So where have you uh, where have you cruised to, John, on your green scooter? Well, I took I took a big ride this morning. I went from downtown up to campus here just to see how it did up the hills and stuff. I'm also trying to encourage the company to to expand their range. So you know, I decided to take a ride up here just to show them they could. It was great. I liked it. It was a good way to get up here without you know worrying about parking and stuff. They say on the website it says if you park it outside of the designated zone, you'll get an extra fine. But I've noticed people parking them outside of it, and I don't think. I don't think there's much of a consequence yet. What do they mean by that? Like, so like the the whole city area. Like, if you if you park it outside of that city area, then yeah, because it's fine. really just Twelfth uh, Street to or Second Street to Thirty Sixth Street and like Wall to Quincy is really the only where you're supposed to be. Wow. But you, it says you can ride it outside of there, but don't park it outside of there. Oh, you have to you have to bring it back. Yeah. Okay. I guess you learned something. Yeah. Is, that, is that all in the app? Do they like? Is there like an orientation? Or what? I, I went through <laughs> because I I, I want to just ride one to my house. You know, my <laughs> house should be in range. I would just start riding that to work every day, but maybe I'll just buy one. But you live in Brigham, so that's convenient. Oh, hey, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> gray zone, baby. On the freeway, you know. It's the gray zone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it seems awesome. I'll have to check those out. Yeah. No, they're, they're super fun for just local around town. People can finally ride the train into town and just take a scooter. So I love that. All right. So let's go on to national news. The uh, the good old Mueller report. Finally out. Finally Redacted, out. but it's out. Right. Did you read any of it? Um, no. No, I've let a lot of people do the reading for me. Same. How about right? you guys? Same as me. <laughs> yeah. Because so I mean, lots of strong opinions about it. People who love it, love it. And people who hate it, who hate it. And there uh-huh. seems to be people who loved it initially are now hating it. So right. unclear where that's going to end. Uh, I've been a part of this whole group that's talking about protesting, you know, if Trump was to mess with the report at all. And, and to me, it just feels like they've done such a perfect job of, of diffusing it in just the right way. You know, letting, first of all, just bringing in Barr, uh, replacing Sessions with Barr. That was supposed to be a line in the sand and they just kind of did it after the, the midterms and it just kind of made its way through and people said, I guess that has to be fine. But then... Barr comes out and redact. Well, first he doesn't even release it. He just gives his summary, right? And that's his supposed to be report. this big red line in the sand, uh, but it wasn't because it was just gradual, you know. And then they bring out the redacted report, and that was supposed to be a line in the sand. So each of these things, they're inching past each of them, and all of these people who are supposed to be protesting and making sure that there's accountability in the country, they're not doing it. So that has got me super frustrated right now. I don't even like reading the news about about the report, you know. It's just you can hear everybody say there's a bunch of. Uh, a, a whole bunch of evidence of crimes in there, but nothing's happening. And so then every time I hear about it, I just want to pull out my hair. That's how I feel. Mm. Yeah, because I'm with you. I sort of like, you know, just waited to kind of see what folks, you know, who were a lot smarter than me and had the time to digest it, you know, waiting for NPR or, you know, the New York Times or whoever to kind of say, all right, this is kind of what's in there. This is what it is. This is what it's not. Because I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea. Right. And so I, I do think it's interesting that, that there is so much debate and, and especially the flip on, on the side of the Republicans where, you know, when Barr released his, his book report, totally awesome, right? Like, Oh, this is, this is great. But once the report finally comes out, there is a little bit of flip on the Republican side where it's like, 
no, these these guys are corrupt. You know, this report is garbage. Like, I thought that it was good, though. You said it was good two, three weeks ago. Right. Now it's not so good. But at the same time, still no collusion, no obstruction, right? Like, that's that's the thing. Well, but stick not with even, that line. Not no collusion. People should be saying, he didn't say no collusion. He says, if we define collusion as being a signed written agreement that we're going to work together to affect the election, then there was no collusion. But, you know, that's all whitewashed. But I feel, I mean, that's at least what was in Barr's initial summary. When he first came out and said there's no collusion or obstruction, then it was in his footnotes. Obstruction here is defined as, that's a it's big, a very it's high a, bar. It's a very high bar to clear. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that the, the most, probably the most alarming thing is that, like, there are attempts, you know, there are documented attempts by the president in, in the report saying he told people to go do this thing, and they just didn't do it, right? Like, that was the thing. They just, they didn't do it. Right. And so then Republicans say, well, see, they didn't do it. So right. that's that's not obstruction. Like, yeah, but he tried. Yeah. <laughs> like, Intent matters with every other crime. <laughs> yeah. If I hire a hitman to go kill my wife and he fails, I still get... You're still guilty charged of that. with intent. Yeah, right. There's there's an intention yeah. there, and so that that's one thing that has me really confused because it's like there's documented evidence of him trying to obstruct the the investigation, right? And like so, I don't know that you can say no obstruction. Now Mueller, of course, said, "Hey, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna file the charges. Congress, it's up to you. If you want to do it, go for it." But if I mean devil, devil's advocate, though, on the on the other side, you could say that if the if you're going to go after intent in the political arena, now you're really making it subject to people's opinion. Then there's nothing more opinionated than the political arena. So mm-hmm. you would constantly be in this back and forth battle about deciding intent and guilt. So how does that end? See, but I think that you know before we turned on the microphones, you know, we were talking about impeachment proceedings and you know whether or not that should happen. And I think that. You know, there are, there are a lot of lawyers in D.C. <laughs> they got time to talk about and, this. Yeah, and, and they do. And, uh, you know, if, if impeachment proceedings go forward, you know, this is chaired by the chief justice of the Supreme Court, right? Like, that person decides, right? So John Roberts gets up there and decides. And so I, I that person is the, is the ultimate, you know, the buck stops there as to whether or not it truly, you know, that, that intent is the thing. And so I, I'd put my faith in that process if it were to go through. But I think that uh, the hard part is like sort of like what John said is like the, the well has been poisoned so much that people are just like, well, I just I mean, I can definitely see where this is super shady stuff. But, oh, man, like, are we really going to go through this? Like, it just feels like there's not a will to go through the process. Yeah. Even though there, you know, is definitely the option to do so you know, or to continue to investigate further. And so it's just like, I, I mean, I honestly believe that like, it's not going to happen. Hmm. They're not going to, they're not going to bring impeachment proceedings. They're going to, the Democrats are going to say, we'll just beat him in 2020. And that's what it is. And then he'll, he'll get away. But I think one of the most frustrating things is the fact that like, so, you know, our, our local leaders, you know, Mike Lee, Mitt Romney, especially, you know, the, our two senators who have the most say in a thing like this, you know, both in the Republican caucus, Mitt Romney comes out after the report, you know, he reads it and he says, oh, this makes me sick. I can't believe it. Oh, how could this, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, he, and Romney will do this thing, right, where he, uh, he'll be against Trump a little bit, but then he'll be kind of before him and he kind of you know, goes back right. and forth. And I think that's probably the most frustrating thing for me is, as one of his constituents is like, man, I mean, I'll be real, I didn't vote for you, but I expect leadership from you. you know, especially as a person who was supposed to 
potentially become the president of the United States. I want leadership. That's been his position his whole life. He's yeah. been a CEO. He's been a governor. He's been a leader his whole life. Yeah. You could continue that if you want. Exactly. Right. I want leadership here. I mean, I understand that maybe you don't believe that the president has acted criminally. That's fine. I can, I can see how you could get there, right? And we've just gone over that. But at the same time, like there's a there's a certain moral and ethical standard that, you know, allegedly, especially the folks that support the president on the religious right, they say that they support, right? Well, if that's the case, then like where's the moral leadership within the Republican caucus to say, yo, you need to clean this up. Like this is your guy. You need to clean this up with your guy. Well, we can't because he's the president. Like it's so feckless. And it's like, no, man, like this is your guy. Like do something about this. And and there's just no no will. And so it's it's thoughts and prayers on the side of the Republicans is like, well, this is what we can do. And I, I'm sickened by it, but that's as far as it gets. Or if you're Mike Lee, you'll go on TV and just talk about how you'll just toe the line, right? And say, oh, no, it's fine. Because Mike Lee, like we've talked about in the show, is still trying to get himself a Supreme Court gig. So, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That, that's like one of my big things is like, come on, guys. Like, just lead out on this thing. Like, stand up for your principles. Like, there, there is no minus in coming out against Trump and, you know, standing strong against him in Utah. Like, especially yeah. if you're Mitt Romney, you're going to get reelected in six years. You know, as much as I hate to say that, like, it's going to be really hard to unseat that guy. Right. Like Trump can't do so what he out. did to Flake and come in here and out uh, rally Romney. No. If, 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 yeah, if he came here, Romney would draw more people than Trump at any time. So he doesn't have that concern. You're right. So lead out. <clears throat> you're, you're in a pretty safe spot and you can take the moral high ground and say, yeah, the president needs to clean up his act and not just be sickened by it. Like, See, but I, re I really think the reason that they don't do that is because they don't feel the accountability. They don't feel accountability to their own base that, I mean, they're not going to get any consequences no matter what they do. So that's why we have to impeach. Like there has to be some kind of accountability. Those people have to go on record as either supporting this or not. They can't keep playing both sides of this and really only commenting on the things that are convenient, but taking no action. And we can't just let all this stuff go without some kind of accountability. There has to be, we can't just have a 400 page document that says that our executive branch is corrupt and has been for the last few years and we just don't do anything, even if the politics aren't favorable. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, there, there should be some consequence, right? And there's just not. And there, and I just, I don't think there there will be, like I said. I mean, I know, John, that that's your position, but yeah, like, I just- I mean, you're probably right. I just don't think that, you know, McConnell is not going to do it. McConnell has shown time and again that that's why you take it out of his hands. Uh, I mean, yeah, hey, I'm 100 percent with you. We're Democrats. He like, can't he can't block we, any votes if it's an impeachment proceeding. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they could probably do something. They always find a way, right? Well, it's just I mean, it's just <laughs> you know, like we said on the show, like it emphasizes the importance of getting out there, voting, organizing. These are the, these are the keys to winning back the Senate, so that you can have some say. And you you know you put Trump on the hot seat. You know you want to you know the president decided that he was going to veto, you know, the bill to end, you know, the support of the Saudi invasion of, well, I guess we can't say Saudi invasion, but the Saudi support of the Yemeni civil war, right? This is catastrophe. And the Senate and the House both came together and said, yeah, we're going to send a bill to the president's office. He vetoes it, dude. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, you're going to see a lot more of that, and you're going to get Trump on, on the record. But, I mean, that all assumes if, you know, you take the Senate back in 2020 and you don't win the executive branch. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just it is what it is. But as much as I hate to say it, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen. It's just going to be 
Yeah. Just going to be. I think you end up focusing on the record. I mean, it's what what you see, what's yep. been done, what, yeah. what policies were actually implemented, were they successful? Did yeah. they actually do what they said? Yeah. What they, they say we're going to do, and if not, you know, that's that's your chance. That's where it goes. Because I, I, you know, I just don't think it's realistic that an impeachment proceeding w- would move forward. So it ends up just being a big waste of political and you know national bandwidth that go through this whole exercise and have it not do anything. Why? Yeah. You know, there's 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 better things to be doing. We have we had a lot of other problems in this country, regionally, locally, that we can focus on, and I just don't think that'll accomplish anything. No, that's a fair take. Yeah, maybe you're right. Focus on the policy, win the election, and then shine the light on everything and take them to jail. <laughs> it's true. I, mean, I love it. Because <laughs> DOJ rules say you can't indict a sitting president, which I think is a super weird rule. Super weird. You break the law, you should be able to go to jail for it. Am I right? <laughs> like, that's dictator stuff, man. So dictators stay in office for, you know, decades and decades because they can't be prosecuted if they're in office, right? Like, what kind of rule is that? That's, right. So, yeah, man. But right. You're right. So, I mean, the, you know, the bottom line is organize, go out, like Ian said, talk about the record, show folks that, hey, man, like, this isn't the way to go. You know, I just I started re-listening to The Wilderness by Crooked Media over the, over the last week. And um, it's been interesting kind of the second time through because they talk a lot about how there are a lot of, you know, Obama Trump voters or Bernie Trump voters. And I just, uh, and, and the vast majority of those folks are non-college whites, right? Like this is where the president did well in 2016. And so, you know, the whole thing is you got to go out and make the case that like Trump is not good for you. That, you know, even though he, he spouted a populist economic agenda, he hasn't, he hasn't rolled that populist economic agenda really out. And right. so the thing, the one thing that you voted for hasn't happened, plus all this other stuff. So you need to reconsider who you're going to vote so that, you know, you don't support that person again in 2020. Right. Um, that's that's the case that has to be made. <coughs> yeah. And in the meantime, people should be focusing on local politics where they can actually make a difference. That's right. So to that end, let's talk about Ogden School District. Let's get local. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess a few things have been happening in the district lately. Do you just kind of, Ian, do you want to give us a little update on? Oh, Sure. Um, so for, for those who weren't aware, and they maybe weren't because I didn't run the best campaign in the world, but I, I actually ran for school uh, right. district the last time around unsuccessfully, but it uh, doesn't change the fact that there were lots of things I was passionate about. And uh, so in terms of what's going on, there are and there are a number of positive things going on in the school district. There's some strong new curriculum coming in and um, some great results in some schools. Uh, as many people will attest to, there are uh, some very strong, passionate teachers who are you know, doing right by our kids, mm-hmm. and, and that's great. But the reason you end up talking about these issues is that there are plenty of things that aren't going that well. Right. And the, probably front and center is the whole conversation about the bond or the previous bond. So the first one failed, the most recent one passed. Why did that happen? So these are some of the topics I'm sure we'll, we, yeah. we will get to here. Well, and that's actually where I was going to start because that's that's basically what I know is I think there was maybe an issue up on the east bench of Ogden with not enough space in the schools for for kids, and so at first they were trying to expand Polk Elementary. Uh, is, isn't that what the first bond was? The no, one uh, there was one I that failed. Say, I wouldn't say there was not enough space. Uh, the issue was that the district is saying that many of the schools are old and outdated, and many of them are. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. And so that we need to spend a uh, hundred million dollars and replace a whole bunch of schools, and okay. that'll fix the problem. And so modernization. Yeah, modernization. But in the meantime, what they one of the ways they were going to go about it is to consolidate schools. So you take nine elementary schools and squeeze them into five. 
Wow. Okay. So is that really a good idea? And that's the big question. That that's a I lot of see. people were very unhappy about that because Polk is the you know the first oldest centralized elementary school and historic building and all that sort of thing. And so a lot of people are very attached to it. It's also doing really well from yeah, a like results a, perspective. Yeah, it's like solid school. 2017 had a B a B grade it was from an a school. The, uh, it was the only A school in the uh, and so it's you know so yeah so they're doing well up yeah, there yeah. yeah so it's been it's been doing great uh, but it doesn't fit in with the district's model of having larger more consolidated schools which to be fair have lower operating costs on a per student basis mm-hmm. but if that's the only thing you measure and ignore the fact that people are passionate about a school and have a strong sense of community that's the kind of thing that gives you additional bandwidth from families who are willing to step up or they're motivated to be involved. Right. But if they don't feel like they're being heard and they're being ignored at some other school, uh, well, I, I, I'm busy. Mm. I don't have time to get involved. It's not even so going to matter. Maybe. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to undermine that sense of community. But on the other hand, if it was, if it's so expensive to manage a specific building, do you, you should rethink that. But having done the studies, the architects who got involved, the cost of renovating the building wasn't substantially more than putting a new building in. And so given that the community felt so strongly about it, you should go with the old building, which they did so far. Right. And so that was the kind of initial run. And then they had this other bond, this last election, right? Or was that? So uh, first time around, the, the plan was to demolish Polk. But the reason it failed, I would say one of the reasons it failed is that the district was not uh, completely forthcoming about what they were going to do. So they kept the list of closing schools close to their chest until mm, well, like, they October, didn't say. like October. Well, we're not really sure. You're sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure you're sure. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you, but you know that it's going to be very contentious if you come out and say that you're going to close Polk. So you'd rather not say. Right. When the word finally got out that, yeah, we're going to close Polk, people went nuts. And so this and happens was, in October. This is in October. When it finally a gets month, out. So a, a month, month before. before the election. Yeah. And so... Again, where the, I think the district spun it was that the bond only the bond only failed by I forget what the number was it was a handful of you know single digit percentage and say well if it wasn't those people at Ogden Education it would have passed no they only had a month to gear up opposition once they found out what you were doing you had all year to present the information in an honest and forthcoming way and you didn't do that so if they'd had a whole year to fight against it I think it would have got crushed yeah and then you really would have got a message but. Lesson learned. Well, and, and so they were much more transparent the second time around in terms of okay. here's what we're doing. Heard, heard from the community and said, all right, we're going to renovate Polk or at least consider that. Right. And they did. And they had parallel studies in terms of a new construction versus a rehab. Costs were comparable. So go with the rehab. Great. But in this whole consolidation angle, they're also squeezing a lot more students into it mm-hmm. than were there before. And so whether that's going to go well... We'll see. I hope it does because it's there is space to have more students in there. It wasn't full, but part of the challenge in filling a school in a, in a neighborhood like that is it's a very desirable neighborhood. So if you look at the families that live there, it says, "Oh yeah, we've been here since my kid went to Polk, and now my kid graduated from Weber State." Oh, that means you didn't move because you love it there, which means there's no room for new kids to go to that elementary school. So attendance goes down, not because there's anything wrong with Polk, is that there's nobody who lives right near it mm. who's choosing to go there easily. So you end up having school boundary discussions, which is the next thing that happens. <coughs> so how does that look, Ian? I mean, because it seems like 
like you said, that that's definitely the case. Families have grown up and kind of, you know, there is some move into the East Bench. It's a popular place to live, you know. Oh, but, sure. But overall, I think what probably, you know, what you're saying is the truth. And so how, how does that discussion take place when we're talking about moving boundaries? Because it seems like the reverse is happening where they're saying, well, we're just going to close schools and consolidate, right? Like they've said that. Well, that's, there's, that's there's a couple other pieces to it. So one is that, that demographic issue, but then the other is that there are young families moving into the East Bench and, and many parts of Ogden, not just the East Bench. So there, were, there are three elementary schools right now. You've got Wasatch at the south end and Polk in the middle and Taylor at the north end. And of those three East Bench schools, there's definitely overcapacity. And a big part of that, and I discovered this when I was campaigning, I would, you know, with, I'd be within a couple of blocks where I lived near Taylor and I'd be knocking on doors, and I'd get this sort of embarrassed look from the, uh, the the potential voter at the door, this sort of toe in the sand when I told him what I was doing. Hi, I'm Ian. I'm campaigning for school board. Mm-hmm. And then they would sort of embarrassingly tell me that, well, you know, my kids are in charter school. And, and I was like, well, you're a block away from Taylor. And we'd get talking about why they would make yeah, that why, choice. Why is that? Yeah. And mostly people felt like they weren't being heard. They didn't see the performance of the schools as advancing quickly enough. Mm. Uh, they felt that the charter schools that they were all attending, which seems to be what people were doing, were far more responsive in terms of their needs. They liked schools that were a little more vertically integrated, uh, like Da Vinci, for example, is a K-12 school. So you have one administration you'll be dealing with your entire school career. You're not shifting schools. You're not shifting boundaries. You're not getting a new principal every three years. The district has a reputation, correctly, of cycling staff between schools for a variety of reasons, but one of the things that that is in a leadership position. So when a principal moves and they've just spent you know, a couple of years getting their feet on the ground and building a sense of community and uh, a leadership team to help run the school with them. Yeah, getting and, people on board with their vision, yeah. all those things that take it's time. building a team like any other sport, if you right. want to look at it that yeah. way. And then three years in, you get moved, ugh, it's a do-over. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Somebody else comes in. I think the sports analogy is a good one, right? Because, I mean, you see that all the time in sports, you know, first, second year is rough. I mean, Weber State's a good example. Jay Hill gets the job. Jay Hill doesn't really start to produce as a head coach until, until he gets to recruit. Yeah, three, four, right? Yeah, his guys, his guys are in the door. Through the system, he gets his teaching staff up to speed, and everybody's on yeah. the same page. Then things start going well. Yeah, then things really start to turn around, right. right? And so I think that's one of the strongest criticisms we can make about the Ogden district is that there is not enough continuity of leadership at the school level. Mm. But on the other hand, if you find out that you have a principal who's not performing, the easy out is to just move them. And you really ought to be looking at either retraining if you're finding that that person is subpar from a performance perspective. And if you've done that and you've gone through, you've been fair to them and the system that you've invested in this person and they're not delivering, at some point you fire people. Yeah, this I mean, is what goes on in the private sector. But we don't seem to do that mm. in this situation. Because that's absolutely true, right? Like if you're hired to a position, you don't do the job. I mean, we see it with CEOs all the time, right? Right. CEO doesn't produce in the way that the board wants. The board is more than willing to... Cut ties, right? right? That's but you also happens. have to be, you also have to recognize what it, what are what are you measuring performance on? Mm. And so, this is as we talked about earlier before the before the show. You know, universities, uh, Weber State's measured on typically a six year graduation, six year graduate, right? Yeah. And uh, the, the Ogden School District also looks at graduation rate, but the downside, and I said this as a, when I was running, is that that's great that we watch graduation rates, but we also have control of the graduation rate in terms of how high is the bar. And so you can either help the kid clear the bar or you can lower the bar to make sure that they get over. And mm-hmm. so there's a bad, uh, that's a bad situation in terms of are your incentives all aligned 
correctly. And not to say that, you know, we're constantly just graduating kids who have no business graduating, but certainly I've seen situations personally where I haven't felt like we've held students to the standard that we could, knowing what their capabilities really are, but it's easier to just advance and push through. And one of the ways you see it is that two-thirds of the students at Weber State are take end up taking remedial math. Yeah, I was one of those. And yeah, this yeah. is a really common story. And why is that? You were perfectly capable of learning math, but you weren't pushed or given the right tools to do it, and yet the district never got quote-unquote disciplined for dropping the ball with you, and turns out two out of every three students. Is that yeah. you know? Is that the student's fault? No, everyone can do math. It's just a language. Yeah, you know? I mean, and, and it, it's just time on task, right? I mean, and that's yeah. that's you know, when I was learning Arabic, that's what we always talked about. It's, sure. all, it's all about time on task. Yeah. If you spend enough time on this thing, you will learn it. But right. so go back to the timeline because I'm trying to uh, work that out. So the district 2018 proposes this new bond mm-hmm. uh, that then passes. Correct. And everyone had this worry that that was going to mean. More money into Polk, but some other school closures. And they basically turn around right away and start school closures. Is that right? So, yeah, that was definitely part of the conversation. But it wasn't just about closing. It's also replacing. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, a couple elementary schools will get demolished and replaced. But what will really happen is that they'll rebuild that school with a larger school on site. And then down the road, they'll close another school mm. that will feed into that new one. Mm. So you replace the one you know, uh, on a specific site and generally choose a lot that's big enough to support that. So they talk about a section. So uh, a three-section school versus a four-section school. A section is how many classes in a grade. So if you've got three fourth-grade classes and three fifth-grade classes, et cetera, that's a three-section school. Uh, The model that this district is chasing is a four-section school, which can be up to 800 kids, roughly. Mm -hmm. And that's the model that they've chosen. They seem to like it. Uh, it does have, uh, in, in theory, lower operating costs on a per-student basis. Mm-hmm. Economies of scale. But what we're seeing, and the, a good example is, say, Heritage uh, on the northwest end of town, was built in 08, and it was brand new, beautiful school. It was full the first year and has had declining enrollment ever since. Oh, wow. And so is it really about the building? It's a low-performing school. Right. And why is that? Then, so the, if the new building is the thing that's going to fix it and your results show that it's not, why do you continue to just focus on building new buildings? Shadow Valley is a pretty new building, similar vintage, and has a very high SES, socioeconomic level, right? Mm. And it actually had one of the lowest math increases in math achievement this, huh. past, this past year. Why is that? That's an operating, that's an operating yeah, issue, that's, not yeah. a building quality issue. And yet our complete focus with this bond process is we need new buildings and that'll fix everything. Mm. I disagree. Right. What goes on in the classroom, not the classroom itself, that well, determines that. But I mean, that would include like better, I don't know, projectors, computers, that kind of stuff too, right? Uh, to a point. When you're, when you're improving the school. Sure, sure. And, you know, the Ogden District had, uh, we used to have elementary, uh, we used to have librarians in all the schools. And we got rid of all of the librarians. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We don't have librarians anymore? Yeah, yeah don't, don't they travel now? They're like one they, librarian they circul- over several. Yeah, yeah, circulate a couple to do some support work. But wow. they used to be in the school. Huh. Was, you know, when I, and if you go touring schools, if you go to expensive private schools, one of the first things they'll show you is the library and meet the librarian. Really? Because they really see it as an asset. So why don't we value that in a public school? 
it's a great place, especially in a district like Ogden, where we have a broad range of uh, sort of income levels, and there's going to be a population that may not value education as much as we do. Uh-huh. And so this is a place for exploratory learning and programs that are a little bit outside of the you know, the beaten path in terms of showing a kid who just isn't fascinated by the straight and narrow curriculum that you might have. But here's something that you're really excited about, and someone who's really got experience in a in that sort of library research setting can help a kid get on that path. Find that find we're, that we're passion missing, that we're, we're missing that opportunity by not funding that end of it. And yet we have, at least in our budget line, we have a significant amount of money on a per student basis going to what we call media services, which sure, generally yeah. includes library services and significantly more than say Davis. Well, right. Where have I, they? I'm not exactly sure where that money goes. Yeah, where have they moved yeah, that? I I don't know. Huh. I'm not, not a school board member, so I don't have access to that level of detail. But someone does. What about at chart? Is it the same at charter schools? Do they have librarians? Do you know? Uh, I'm, I'm sure some do, some don't. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you know, when I was involved, uh, uh, I was involved at Da Vinci back in the day, and uh, we certainly had a library and put a lot of resources into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and charter schools have an interesting path in the sense that they have to have all the operational costs of a regular school in terms of you know staff and principals and teachers and everything involved. And then they also have the district overhead of running the school district, a district of one school. Uh-huh, right. So you have curriculum development and you know funding and all those other pieces right. that go on at the district office. You do that for one school. So on a per capita basis, your costs are actually higher, and somehow they're getting it done. Huh. You know, like I, I've spent... 15 years not thinking about education at all. Now I've got a daughter who's about to go into school. It's funny how that focuses your interest. It really does. <laughs> and I was a student who didn't have a lot of faith in the public school system. Like, it just did not feel like it was tailored to me or really conducive to learning. And so when I'm looking to choose for my daughter, I my mind goes to charter schools almost immediately just for what you're saying. Like, they... Uh, they seem to have a little bit more freedom in deciding how they're going to teach my kid and they have to spend a lot less time justifying it up the chain of command. Right. And I think that's, I think that's part of the issue. And and the reason, I mean, the reason I'm here, the reason I ran for school board is because I care desperately that our public schools are successful. We, Uh we as a community need our public schools to be successful. But charter schools are public schools, right? They they are, but there there's, it's also a numbers game. I mean, as a taxpayer, we are paying for public schools. We have the asset in place. We've got a whole bunch of expensive buildings. We've got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people hired already. Let's make that work. Yeah. It's like, well, I got a leaky roof in my house. I think I'll knock it down and build another house. Right. No, I'm going to fix the one I got. Right. Would make more sense. And the truth is there, the majority of people are going to be sending their kids to the public schools just because it's kind of the default. It doesn't really take yeah. much work. Yeah. That's going to be the norm for a long time. Right. So, and and like I said earlier, there there are lots of bright shining spots uh-huh. in, in the Ogden School District. You know, teacher that you know, teacher that you love or administrator you love, and yeah, and people go. Great and point. I had excellent and, teachers. Yeah, exactly. And there's a sense, you know, and there is a strong sense of community if you start snooping around. Uh-huh. But overall, I think the problem is that from a it, it it really comes back to leadership. So you need to empower the people at the lowest level to deliver the most good. And who is that? That's the teacher in the classroom. Yeah. And yet the Ogden District has a reputation regionally about being a very top-down structure in terms of we're gonna, you know, we're gonna tell the principals what to do, the principals are gonna tell the teachers what to do, and if the teachers don't like it, they leave, mm-hmm. which is what our turnover rates show. That's expensive. And that's an expensive way to get things done. Because right. you're constantly cycling new teachers in who learn and then they get enough experience and then they're unhappy, then they leave. Ugh. So you're you're basically the Utah Jazz, you're you're constantly drafting players. 
bringing them in. And then they leave in free agency. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you got them trained up nice. Yeah, and, right. And, and to be fair, there's pl- there's plenty of experienced teachers who are willing to stick it out. But yeah, when, but it, that's for, what you're left with is, is the people who are doing it out of sense of of, of altruism or something rather right. than right. And and teaching teaching and nursing to some extent, but certainly teaching is one of those few careers where people thank you for be willing to put up with it. It's uh-huh. Like, why don't you just pay me? Uh huh. Because everyone else goes to work and gets paid, and if they don't like it. They right. go get another job, but teaching seems to be universally poorly paid, and they're just supposed to suck it up. Yeah, and I mean Ogden District pays more, as an example, than Davis. The average salary in Ogden is about fifty. Mm-hmm. In Davis, it's about forty-five. So you know we're more than more than ten percent huh. better better than Davis, and yet we lose teachers to Davis all the time. Wow. Why is that? Because they feel like they're being hurt. Do you know is is teacher pay about the same between Ogden and Weber school districts? Uh, I think Weber's a little less as well, mm. if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. So interesting. So it sounds like you know really pay is just kind of a, this this hygiene. Um, That's not necessarily why most teachers do it. I sure. Mean, it just yeah. Has to, it has to be adequate. Right. You know. I mean, like it, that, it, it's not all about the money. It's really about the experience. Correct. And, you know. Correct. All, There's a sense of satisfaction. I mean, it's one of the things I love most about being involved in education at all is you meet that teacher and you've all had one or two, mm-hmm. or ideally. Have. And the data shows that you only have to have a teacher like this about every three or four years to keep you interested as a huh. student. Someone who just exudes school and education and builds your passion for it. Like, oh, I love that teacher. <laughs> right. You don't. I mean, if you had that every year, that'd be awesome. Uh, That's sure. hard to arrange. But we all know who we're talking about. Right? Uh-huh. We've had right. those teachers. And so when you meet them and you work with them, that's, that's what I find inspires me to even want to stay involved. As a parent of a five-year-old, I'm equally motivated as you are. To right. Know, we have to do better for our kids. But it's, you know, when you meet those people, it's like, yeah, that's the reason. It's people like that. Yeah. You want to have them be successful and have them be happy in their jobs. Right. So, Ian, I wonder, back to, back to the second bond that did pass in November, what were the main differences between what failed in 17 and what passes in 18? Like, what are the major tweaks that get it over the finish line this time? Okay. Um, part of it was size. So the first bond was about 106, and uh, I think the second one was 87 or 78. Okay. So, um, so it was significantly smaller. $20 million less. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was, a very, there was a very disingenuous behavior on the first bond where they basically said that your taxes won't increase. Well, that's only because the... Bonds and payments that are dialing down from previous commitments are dialing off right about now. And so we're going to figure out how much money that is in the future and then back calculate to today and say, what payment can we impose on the taxpayer today that's going to equal the stuff that's going away over the next period of years? And then your taxes are the same. So our taxes didn't go up. Well, they didn't go down either, which they would have. <laughs> right. Right. Because bonds you introduced bond this $106 million bond. So that was part of it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that they weren't coming clean with which schools are going to be closed. And then there was a conversation about uh, the Ben Lomond gym, which was hugely contentious because it was a very expensive project. At the time, they talked about a $10 million rehab before the bond. Uh That became a $20 $20 million reconstruction, which today in the new bond has evolved with a couple million dollar overrun to a $32 million project. Oh, wow. Really? Which sounds awesome. Awesome, but I think completely inappropriate for a school district at our level to spend that kind of money. That's a yeah. third. That's a third of the bond. Yeah, Correct. no kidding. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's crazy. That's so a third of the bond know. for a gym. So that didn't make it into the bond this time around. So they use what they call lease revenue bonds, which is not the same kind of put it in front of the voter requirement. It's something that you can do at the school district level and not have a public vote on. 
huh. the way we would look to do on a bond on a ballot. So that got passed. Uh, when was that? Uh, so six months, maybe six months ago. I forget what month it was. So that just goes through the school board itself. Yeah, they look it over. And we're they, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. some public comment, I'm sure, and then it's like, okay, it's yeah, done. that was that. And I mean, I guess part of the part of the conflict came up with the fact that Og and I had a huge renovation back in the mid aughts. Yeah, and when it you know there was a bunch of private money that came to that. A lot of private money, right? <laughs> and that was part of it. And Ben Loman didn't have access to that same level of private money, but there was this sense of fairness that people were throwing around that said, "Well, if Ogden and I got it, then we should have it." Well, I got you know, I got friends who drive Teslas. I'd love to have a Tesla, but I can't afford it, so yeah. I don't have it. So I think we could have built a much more cost-effective product at Ben Lomond that the students and and community would have been happy with, and we got you know. A Taj Mahal. A Taj Mahal, yeah, yeah. that's exactly looks, what I was going to say, looks, a Taj Mahal. It looks awesome, but I just don't think it's an appropriate use of taxpayer money when we are starved for funds at other schools for things like, oh, yeah, the roof leaks. Yeah, which cause all yeah. kinds of problems yeah. if you don't fix them early, right? Right, and we— And that's all your investment going down the drain. Right, and so this is one of the things that uh, you know people don't understand looking at school district funding is that— a dollar is not a dollar is not a dollar. So there's different buckets that you can yeah. get money from, right? And so when you bond, bonding is for capital projects, like building a building. Uh-huh. It does not include maintenance. So when you want to maintain a building, that's your O&M budget, your operations and maintenance, which also includes teachers, which to me is an inappropriate bucket yeah, because yeah. now you're, you're, you're competing for resources between paying your teachers and staff to keeping do— Keeping the lights on. And keeping the lights on and the roof from not leaking. So where are you going to cut? Well, I don't want to lose the teachers, so I'm going to cut maintenance. Right. So what we, the Ogden District, seem to do is build disposable school buildings. And huh. the, the case in point is Madison Elementary, which was built in uh, 1995, I think, which is on the list to be demolished. Yeah. Really? How old is this building? Who huh. built this building? Who is responsible for designing this not-so-good building? Everybody's gone. Nobody mm. seems to know, right? I mean, that's that's where we are. So now we have a building that's going to get demolished that we just finished paying bonds for, so it seems. Well, and is it that maintenance costs after 20, 30 years start to get high, and so you they want do. to pull it out of the other bucket? They do. You'd rather pull it out of your building bucket than your maintenance bucket? But you can't because it's a different. that's a different bucket. Until you build a new building. That's right. So if you intentionally don't maintain it, and then you go to the <laughs> taxpayer and say, well, you know, geez, our buildings are falling down. You're going to have to give us more money to build new ones. They go, oh, okay. They feel bad, correctly, because huh. yeah. our buildings are falling down. You can see that. Right. But that's not the way we do things. If we mm. own houses... Right, you don't right. wait. You don't leave the roof to leak to damage the gym floor. And when you ask somebody, "Oh yeah, it's been doing that for five years, really?" and you didn't fix it, right? Well, we don't have any money. Well, get the money yeah. for maintenance so that we're not building a new building. That's just really short-sighted way to manage facilities. Huh. But you know the way we do things in the district. Part of the challenge is scale. So we're we're a district of eleven, twelve thousand students. You go to Davis, where they're five times as large. They have a director of building services who is a licensed architect with a degree in construction management. Sounds mm. like an ideal person for that. Yeah, I was like, that's right. it, right? That's cheap. Ogden doesn't have that. We don't have someone in that position. Huh. So, you know, people can figure stuff out. We can all manage a project at our house when it comes to dealing with contractors and you try to, you know, spend money correctly and you learn some things and you educate yourself up. But that's different from having expertise on staff 24-7. Hmm. And so he, here we are managing, you know, a multi-million dollar budget, and uh, 
I, from what I understand, uh, the district has bringing in some expertise, but I, I pushed very strongly during the election process talking to uh, the superintendent and board members. If we're doing this, you know, 80-something million dollar bond process, we need to hire a full-time construction management person for the three to four-year build cycle. And if you're going to, if you have to pay them, pick a number, a quarter million dollars a year to get uh-huh. someone who's really good, I bet they you're save gonna... you, I bet they save you eight million by not blowing it. Right. So right. I'm happy to give that guy a million bucks over four years to make that happen. Yeah. That's a really good investment. And from what I understand, there is some of that going on. But Well, and I was thinking when you're talking about building the gym at Ben Lomond, you know, people sort of generally like to complain that one of the problems in schools is that they're more interested in investing in sporting programs and that kind of stuff than in curriculum. So, I mean, that that seems to be proof right there when you want to just put sure. a third of your money into the gym. So is, th- is that a real thing? Uh, it's a big problem it because is. it's sexy. Uh-huh. It's, sure. I, I mean, I, I used to be on the Ogden City Planning Commission. It's sort of a standard joke in, in communities when you look at what you can get donations for. Like, uh-huh. I want to put my name on the brand new sewage treatment plant. It's right. Like, no, nope. I don't. Nope. <laughs> right. Football stadium? Awesome. Yeah. So yep. what do we get? We get football stadiums and the sewer doesn't work. Huh. So. But then... It, well, so then in theory, that sexiness should be bringing in donors that have money that then allow you to put into maintenance and paying teachers, no? No, because you spend it on the facility. <laughs> well, so yeah. Well, the problem, too, is that donors donors hate giving money to operating things, right? Like, correct. Yeah, like, right. like, Again, it's to build, not maintain. Yeah, donors don't want to come in right. and give money so that you can pay your teachers. Like mm. most donors, they'll look around and go, well, what are my taxes doing? Right. Mm. Like they're not, most people were not willing to do that. And, you know, we had to break that to a lot of folks at the university when I worked there all the time, because people would be like, well, why don't you raise money? Like, for example, for, uh, uh, advisors or something like that, right? It's like not that people don't care. Yeah, no, it's just, but I'm not sure I want to give my money for that because I, right. I don't get the sense yeah, of personal satisfaction about it. It's guess, the same I mean, reason I'm the legislature doesn't want to invest in it because yeah. you can see the buildings, you can't see right. the failing teachers. Right, it's ego. Yeah, yeah. Huh. it's something. hard. Yeah, I mean, if if we had unlimited money, would we be donating to all those things? I'd like to think so, but uh-huh. who knows, right? Huh. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, that's that's a great point, Ian, because yeah. yeah, like people don't like investing in those things necessarily yeah. with private dollars. And, and so. this, I mean, the sports piece is tough because you know you look at uh, you look at what you remember about high school, mm-hmm. and you, you quickly go back to you know achievements on the sporting field versus oh, I remember this awesome geography class. It was so much fun. I mean, which I do actually, but <laughs> I was kind of a nerd. But I also played sports, and that is the stuff you end up talking about. That's the stuff that really makes an impression on you, and there's a huge yeah. value to the teamwork and camaraderie that comes from team sports. But you go to, you know, you go to Europe, s- sports are not part of school at all. It's all after-school curriculum. Right. Well, because I'm thinking about now charter schools who don't necessarily don't have, have sports teams, teams correct. but they find ways to have teams, I don't know, science decathlons or whatever. Right. They have camaraderie. Right. and Well, they have know. some teams. I mean, like Da Vinci's Student a good government. example. They have a, g- they have a gym, so they have basketball and volleyball and the gym mm-hmm. sports, but there's no football team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a lot of athletic departments, football sucks up. 80, 90% of the budget. A lot. For, yeah. for, the, for 55, 60 kids. Is that really fair? Right. Well, you know. Right. But enrollment in football nationally is dropping significantly. It's down, you know, 6% since uh, 2017, I think. Really? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. I mean, President Trump said he wouldn't let his kids yeah, play Yeah, a lot, in the a lot of parents. I won't let my kid play football. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch it. I don't, you know, uh-huh. I, I have no issue having somebody else get their head bashed in, but I'm not going <laughs> to play it. This is right. baseball's a superior yeah. game. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little reward. Come on, guys. Says the guy with the baseball hat on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up. I grew up playing cricket. So you know, people okay. oh, people man. learn to play baseball after watching <laughs> cricket. So there you go. It's true. And yeah. In fact, I just started. Yeah. Uh, I went to a Weber State baseball game. Uh, they have a club team. And uh, a friend told me that Ken Burns put out this baseball documentary a few years ago in 2010. So I started watching it last night. And that's exactly what they said. Like cricket is kind of, you know, a a piece of the genesis of baseball. The problem was that cricket was too long. It's totally so long. Yeah, so they had to figure out a way to shorten it. But but to be fair to to cricket, they actually figured this out. So when when I was playing... That you had the, these people talk about these multi-day test matches that yeah. would go on forever, and they they shortened it. They give you a fixed number of pitches, mm. so you have a 240 pitches. Period. Game oh. over. So you got to start swinging for the fence at some point. So mm-hmm. it really yeah, sped yeah. up the game, made it a lot more exciting, and people are into it again. So yeah. baseball could learn from maybe speeding up the game. Well, well I mean, and that's what. Oh, don't mess with. <laughs> don't, don't don't say that. Right. It's so, true. No, I mean, that's, that's one of Rob Manfred's big thing. Like but America. Yeah. The interesting thing, though, is that so the first baseball game ever, ever played, they think Hoboken, New Jersey, and uh, the New York Knickerbockers, which is like this baseball club they put together, they played a cricket team. No kidding. And they got crushed. Yeah, I would guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I always laugh about it because, like, so baseball, oh, you mean they don't even bounce the ball before you have to hit it? No. How hard's that? Uh, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's pretty hard. It's, well, they're throwing it pretty fast. Yes, yeah. there is but, that. But not they're, 1910, right? Like, yeah. you, know, you could bounce it and put some English on it. That's, yeah. where, that's where that expression comes Ooh, from, yeah. you know. You know, when I was in high school, we had a rugby club. That's what I played. And no pads, no funding. We had, like, bloody noses and big old goose eggs every game. But you don't hear about rugby players, you know, getting multiple concussions and murdering their families, right? Not at the same rate. They do get concussions, but nowhere near the same rate. But their shoulders are destroyed. The reason is the equipment, though. Because you put a helmet on someone you f- and and pads like that, you feel invincible. So I'm gonna mm. drill myself and I'm gonna drill my head. Well, yeah, because those guy's guys chest. needlessly hit their heads. The, if yeah. you're a line, if you're yeah. on the line, you're just hitting your head all day long yeah. for, for those nothing. Are, those are the guys that are getting some serious yeah. brain trauma because it's constant. In fact, that's why I didn't play football. They wanted me to play the line, and I did it for like three practices, and I was like, "This is terrible." And, this and isn't it's even not because you're five eight. Is that it? No, I'm six <laughs> feet tall. I was yeah. excellent at football <laughs> for the record. Oh, you pushed the button, Ian. <laughs> Ooh, six-foot lineman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, run for the sidelines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll move on then. Yeah. No, so that's a good, some pads right now and right hit now, heads. It, yeah. So that's a good point that, you know, sports programs are much sexier to invest in than, you yeah. know, some of the things that we're talking about here. Yeah. And so maintenance suffers because yeah. of all of that. I mean, yeah. you, you want to take something really unsexy. It's like, I got to make sure that you want to make sure that kids go to school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Truancy, right? And some of Ogden schools, you know, it'll, it'll be in the 70s and 80s percent in terms of kids showing up every day. And we have all kinds of incentives and ways of doing it. And, you know, they do a good job in, in some places in terms of tracking kids. And when they don't, you call them and the next level up, someone goes to your house. I mean, this goes on. This goes on in the Ogden district. It's a great place to maybe have some more resources because if we're still seeing those kind of numbers, then we're not doing a good enough job, mm. whatever that takes. And it's, but it's not just policing. It has to be... Uh, a pull instead of a push, however you want to describe it. Care the, kids, the kids need to want to come to school. Or right. want, so then he asked the question, why don't they want to come to school? Are they, they're not, it's not like they're not interested in learning. If you give kids the materials and the opportunity and a place to do it, that they feel safe and valued. Mm-hmm. Maybe those are part of it. Maybe you don't feel valued. Maybe you don't feel safe. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a bullying issue. Maybe, maybe there's a whole bunch of reasons why kids don't go and their parents don't encourage it. Right. That's something that we can address. Not a sexy thing for funding, but we have to do it because those are the kids that are most at risk, the ones who don't go. Right. 
Well, that's good. So in now that we've kind of talked about both of the bonds, kind of like where things are at, I mean, what's what's kind of the, the future here? Like, what does the future look like for the district? And I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, you know, closing schools, consolidation. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, what are the what are the trends look like? That's a great question. Um, I think it's I think it's that the district really doesn't treat itself as a business. And you are and not not in the sense that you would normally think is you have to compete for customers. You certainly do. And customers are students and families that choose you because they get to choose. And so now with the option of charter schools, they have more choice. They, they have always had private schools, but if you can't afford it, you can't, can't afford, afford it. it. Yeah. So charter schools are free. They are public and they can't turn you away. That's pretty much an open invitation to say, if you don't like where you are, come on over here. And the fact that the number of charter schools has exploded in Utah sort of tells you that in a lot of places, people aren't happy with where they are. Now, on the one hand, sometimes charter schools are very specialized. You'll get a very arts-oriented school or a really science-oriented school or a really something-oriented school. That's great. So there's something that... those exist. But school districts can do that too. They can have a focused school. But the other thing that you can do, again, is recognizing uh, families' personal needs. And this is where I'm uh, concerned about the Gramercy um, Mount Fort decision. So you've got uh, a junior high and an elementary school, you know where they are, bottom of the hill on yep. 12th Street? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you've got a huge campus property there right on a main artery. Right. Yep. There's a lot of temptation to say, well, if we're closing schools, why don't we just sell that off for the development money? Oh, yeah. Which is, I'm sure, what they'll do. That was my assumption as soon yep. as I read that. Yeah, and that's insane because there are a couple of organizations in our, in our community, in our economy that never do that. They never sell land. It's universities and hospitals. And if mm. you look in a drawer somewhere in somebody's or somebody's computer, there's a 50 and 100 year strategic plan for what we are going to be doing when me and my kid and whoever else is involved with me are long gone in debt because they have long term planning in place. Right. School district in Ogden doesn't have that in place if they're selling land because right. you go to Wasatch Front Regional Council or any of these sort of economic and demographic prediction organizations that we have here in the state, and you look at what's going to go on in 2040, 2050, you know, population in Weber County is currently 240,000. Yep. It's going to be 370,000. So you got 50% population growth. You can either pave the entire western side of the county with quarter acre lots and pollute ourselves to death with exhaust, or we can densify the communities that are already invested with infrastructure. That would be Ogden and put a lot more people in the communities where you have already determined there are a lot of assets that are worth being near. Right. If you look at what's right. in Ogden now, you got geographic assets and built assets on the river and, you know, a lot uh-huh. of things that are valuable and valued. And so if you're going to have your population increase, let's say Ogden is going to be 120,000 people about that time, just proportionally, it will be. Someone's going to turn around at that time and say, who thought it was a good idea to sell off land back in the day for, you know, we got a million dollars for it and put a bunch of houses on it, and now we don't have a place to put a school. That was really short-sighted. But the person who thinks it's a good idea is the guy who's looking at his budget Correct. saying, Correct. if I sell this now, that's allocated money that I can spend on whatever, right. and later on when I need to buy money, that can come out of that pool that I've got money Correct. in. Right, and that, so that's what a school board is supposed to do is have that kind of long-term thinking and saying, well, yes, I understand that there are severe financial constraints that we're under right now, uh-huh. and that's a problem, but we are absolutely shooting ourselves in the foot. And right. so as an example, get back to my competing for the business perspective, if charter schools are winning on the idea that you can consolidate schools and have a, a K-9 or K-12 experience for a family, Gramercy Mount Fort 
is a K9 experience now in two right. separate buildings. Right. Why don't you think about combining those schools in the sense that you're not going to put, I know, kindergartens in the same building with a ninth grader. It's not like that's actually a problem. People right. have siblings. But you could make they a don't, campus. They don't step on them. Right. You know, you're not going to hurt them. But you have a campus that's set up in a way that you have shared administrative costs, shared sports facilities, shared everything, except the classroom spaces are designated mm. in a way that manages your foot traffic a little bit so that mm. you've optimized an elementary experience and you've optimized a junior high experience. And now you've got something that you can directly compete with the charter schools who are selling that and winning. Hmm. And what are we going to do? We're going to close it and build a bunch of large elementary schools in neighborhoods that don't really suit them because they're not set up for it. So Polk is going to be a little bigger than that site probably wants to. And there's a whole pissing match going on at Wasatch Elementary right now where last week they had a discussion, a line item on the agenda for the school board to discuss what to build at Wasatch. And there were multiple plans presented and they had the existing uh, L-shaped elementary school building, right? Mm-hmm. So it goes sort of a east-west leg and then a north-south leg on the starting at the northwest corner. Um, and there's a bunch of portables. And so, correctly, they've been unhappy with having a whole bunch of portables because nobody loves that. Although mm-hmm. some teachers do because you get your own little island and nobody <laughs> bothers you. So right. it's not always a bad thing. But in general, nobody loves yeah, portables. Right. And so they went through this proposal and public input, in theory, public input, and they ended up, they, the architects and the, uh, the planners and such, have got this two-story structure parked on the south end of the school. So here's a you know, fairly significant structure right against the houses, long corridor. Many of the teachers were really upset. Some even left the meeting crying when they saw that. It's like, this is not what we talked about. So people felt like they weren't being heard. Hmm. Somebody's pushing this. But to me, what's really telling is that on the first bond and on the second bond, they ended up agreeing that Wasatch was a sufficiently decent quality building that it could be salvaged and reconstructed. So if you add seismic, fire suppression, make sure the roof works, some new windows, and then what they call access control, you build a new front of the school for this whole oh yeah, like one entrance school yeah. shooter problem, door security, all that, right? Yeah. Hate to we, hate that we even have to think about that, but we do. Right. So it's America, so it was all part of it. But to do all that. I think it was in the four to five million range, if I'm remembering correctly, back in mm. the 2017 conversation. Um, I think I even have it in front of me here. Yeah, in there. So less than four. Huh. Um, you could do all that, or you can knock it down and build a brand new school for 20 million. Mm-hmm. Guess which one they seem to prefer to do. And the way you know is that they've, they're proposing this two story structure that won't be connected to the existing building physically <laughs> right. at all. I was like, well, why would you do that? It's so you don't have to tear out a wall when you knock down Wasatch, what, five years from now? Is that the game plan? Right. But yet they promised the community that they would rehab it. The mm. way you know they're not, at least in my mind, is that there's no conversation about that seismic upgrade because on the first bond discussion back in 2016 when they were leading up to the 2017 bond, uh-huh. it was all about safety. We're going to seismically retrofit all the elementary schools to make sure our kids don't get crushed. Mm. That sounds great. Not hearing that. Mm. And we're not hooked on, we can't connect it because the fire suppression system can't be connected. Really? You guys can't figure this out? You don't know any plumbers? Mm. I really question what's going on there. So it's going to come out and they're going to, and so what happened at this, at this meeting, it's on the agenda as a discussion item. There was a little bit of tension and emotion in the meeting, quite a bit. I mean, people yelling at people. It wasn't pretty. Hmm. And they ended up calling for a vote on, are we going to approve this plan for Wasatch? They voted on it. And then a member of the public kind of spoke, uh, guys, that's an illegal vote because you didn't publicly notice it 
being on a, you know, you know how that's supposed to work. Yeah. They didn't. You said it was a discussion item. Now you just voted on it. That's illegal. So mm. you're going to have to have a revote. You have to mm. resend the vote and have a revote. They haven't publicly admitted that this went on in the sense that there should be a public meeting coming up this week oh. where they'll do a legitimate vote. And right. I bet there'll be more than five people from the public there this time. So they have to put out notice for those meetings, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I'm as thinking as 48 hours, but it's at least that. It's, oh, yeah. That's not yeah. very long. Yeah, right. Huh. So... So, I mean, has, has that notice gone out? Because, I mean, that, that's I kind of the action right. item for this discussion is, you know, go to the next meeting. And right. so I had on, you know, our rundown, the next meeting being May 16th. That's what the website says. Right. That's, that's, that's an official, you know, meeting that's, meeting. So that's not the a, official not, board meeting. Not a work session. Yeah. So uh, but you're saying that there's one this I week. I got to think there's going to be a meeting sooner than that because, correctly, they want to get going. Uh-huh. And they want to get started on whatever they're doing at Wasatch. But my argument would be, let's not get going because clearly you're building the wrong thing. Right. If teachers are leaving the room crying, feeling like this is a really bad choice for our school. Hmm. And, oh, yeah, we forgot to put a library in. Hmm. Oh, man, are you serious? There's not even a library. Oh, man. So what are we doing? What are we you doing? Know? So I, that worries me. Wasatch is one of those schools where people moved to be – I know people who moved to be close to that school so that their kids could go to it. Hmm. And now you're going to be shuffling the kids around. It's going to be under construction. And I haven't seen a solid game plan that shows where huh. everything's going to be over the next six years. I got a five-year-old. I'm looking at this exact problem. Right. And it says, well, what, what, you know, what's my, what's my plan here? This, this isn't it. Right. So I'm not doing that. And you get that, the notice of the meeting. It goes on their Facebook? It'd probably be on their website. Mm. But, you know, this, again, this is where, to me, that's kind of, even though they're using the internet, that's good. And they actually have a, a fairly good website in a bunch of ways. But if you're involved in the community, you'd like to be in more of a push mode where if I indicate that I'm following some issues and something comes up, I'd like it to notice me. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, I better remember to go to the website and, oh, look, there's this meeting that I didn't know about. Well, why would I have gone to the website? Because I wasn't really looking so for So is that anything. you have like a Google alert or something? So we should. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe that is possible to set that up. But huh. that's what we should be doing. I mean, if you want to engage your community, and I think as a school district, we want that, mm-hmm. then it would be great that you could sign up and be put in a position where if there's any issue, if you're a parent who lives, let's say, right near Wasatch or right near Heritage or right near Bonneville or wherever, mm-hmm. And any issue that comes up affecting my school, I'd like to know about it. Just send me a text. Yeah, you know, right. I can, I'm free to ignore it. It's an easy thing to segment. It's just too. not that big a deal. Yeah, we have the tools to do this. Easy, free tools. Yeah. So you, but you are being, you have to be proactive about it now. You have to right. like you basically have, check their website every yeah. couple of days, right? Every go, week go, or so. go have a peek. Yeah. Huh. And I mean, and to be fair, maybe the, maybe there are some tools now that I'm unaware of. That, yeah, maybe they do started. So, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but probably not. I'm, my guess is no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So there's there's a lot of issues out there with the district. Yeah, it like, sounds like there's a lot more we could talk about. Yeah, in the future there, too. there really is. We can we can do, you know there's other people involved who know a lot more than me about uh, certain aspects of this and well maybe any aspects of this. Um, and so we'd certainly be happy to you know in, involve them in future discussions if that would be productive. Yeah. What about so I mean people can be involved by attending these school board meetings. Are there other ways to do it? I mean, I guess they could just kind of reach out to so their each, elected school board members. Each schools, right? yeah, you can reach out to your uh, your school board member. Uh, schools typically have a PTA. They'll have a community council. So there's organizations that you can get involved with. But part of the ding on that is that it often feels very scripted and top-down in terms of what are we supposed to be mm. doing or what are we allowed to work on. Mm. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I, when my daughter first went to Ogden High and – I was working at home at the time, so I have the kind of flexibility. But right away, there's a flaw. The fact that 
any of your public meetings, such as a community council or PTA meeting, oh, it's at 320. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how about making it at 630? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who can go to that? So I can be home from work, grab some dinner, and then come to a meeting. Right. But while it's convenient for staff right. to run it at 320 because it's right after their, their work day. Right. I was like, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> and the meetings go easier when nobody to, shows up. <laughs> it, well, they kind of do. But to be fair, you know, if you're staff and you've been there since 7 o'clock and you don't get any bathroom breaks and you didn't have a, you have a 10-minute lunch eating at your desk or something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Loving the idea of sitting through some meeting with a bunch of complaining members <laughs> of the public. So I totally get it. Uh -huh. But we could manage it differently. Uh-huh. Companies do, school districts do, and right. we're not nailing it. So we don't get the amount of public input and buy-in because we haven't given people a channel where they can really communicate. I think that's exactly what they don't realize is it would increase the buy-in. It would. It would. It seems one, like a simple idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one good news piece is that uh, uh, last year, uh, if you went to an Ogden School District board meeting, you had to have signed up 48 hours in advance and tell them that you wanted to make a public comment and even tell them what you were going to comment about. Oh. Wow, that's not good. Now wow. you can show up at a meeting and there's a podium and you just put your name on the list and says, I'm going to talk today because I'm pissed today. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You know, we were learning this with the Forest Service too. This seems to be a trend now. We're going to have public comment, but it's like to, to comment in the Forest Service hearing, you had to go to the first meeting and register to comment. Then at the next meeting, six weeks down the road, right. you could be on the list, but only if you were at the first meeting. The intent is to make sure you can't comment. Right. Yeah. Let's be clear on the intent here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and yeah. so at least the school district heard that because I, you know, there was one meeting uh, that was pretty contentious during the bond cycle and uh, I got up and personally bitched about that. <laughs> it's like, this is nuts that you guys carefully do this. And if there is a contentious issue about a bond or closing a school or something, somehow it was always magically the very last item on the agenda at right. 8.30 in the evening after a three-hour meeting when you're right. just dying. So I, I just learned to go late. It's like, uh, okay, this is not going to be on the on, right. actually on the agenda until quarter to eight. I'll show up then. I got my food. I feel okay. <laughs> I'm ready need, to go. Yeah. Ready to go. But it's unfair to the school board members. It's unfair to the members of the public and Absolutely. the teachers, everyone involved. Right. That right. You're intentionally suppressing public input. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that's, that's how I interpret that. If you're not actively reaching out for it and listening for it, yeah. then you must be suppressing it. Yeah. Man. So that sounds harsh, but here we are. That's why people got to make themselves yeah. heard. Yeah. And, you know, if I... Uh, it's interesting to, to think about what it, what it would be like to be on the school board right now because they have a lot on their plate. And, I've, you know, it's a difficult job. Mm -hmm. And I've been a school board member before, so I know what it's like. And there's a lot of competing factions. You've got limited resources, and you've got an infinite list of stuff to do. So mm -hmm. I feel for them. But I think we could do better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I guess the takeaway is, right. yeah, get to those meetings. Yep. Like I said, so yeah. watch, watch watch for the website. Don't let your schools just be something that people control for you. You have a say. Yeah. You absolutely have a you say. You have a say. Uh, or you, so you can watch for the meeting potentially this week for that vote on Wasatch if that affects you. Or uh, the next scheduled meeting that is, uh, you know, a full board meeting, uh, Thursday, May 6th at 6 p.m. May 6th or 16th? May 16th, sorry. Yeah, yeah. May 16th, <laughs> 6 p.m., 1950 Monroe Boulevard is where those happen. All right. So, so we want to go. Let's talk about gripes. Let's do gripes really fast. Mine is, yeah. I'll do mine really fast. Uh, so today, Elizabeth Warren rolled out her student debt relief plan. Um, and uh, I like it. I think it's great. I'm a millennial. I'm affected by student debt. A lot of people say, oh, that's what you get for getting a junk degree. I didn't get a junk degree. <laughs> 
and yet I still have a lot of student debt. So please don't tell me that, and please don't tell me that I'm lazy because that nothing pisses me off more as a person. Well, I've who, heard that about you. Yeah, that well, could be like he's so lazy. Yeah, as, yeah. A, as a guy who doesn't, doesn't have his hand right. in like eight things at a yeah, time. Yeah, no kidding. Somebody oh, yeah, who works clearly. a lot. Uh, so yeah, so she 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 rolls it out. The idea is that uh, if you they will forgive up to fifty thousand dollars of your student debt. Um, I think it's, that's great. I mean, especially where 44.2 million people have student debt. The average is around $39,000 that they carry. So that's going to affect a lot of people. And my argument is that this is a boon for the economy. You know, this is going to help an entire generation of people move ahead in their lives. Uh, but I've been getting beat up on Twitter all day for this one. Uh, there are a lot of people that disagree with me. And it's mostly people that I, I find that are like, well, I went to school and I paid my student loans, and so why should you get them for free? And when, like, well, when, when tuition was eight hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. Well, you yeah. went, yeah. When you know your whole semester was eight hundred dollars, and uh, I went when you know the year cost me, you know, even in a place like Weber State, still I was, I'm paying fifty five hundred dollars a year. Yeah, right. Uh, and yeah, so yeah. I like the plan, but not everyone loves the plan. But I just want to give praise to Elizabeth Warren for putting it out there, man, because I think that it gives a lot of people hope that such a thing could happen and yeah. it could be really good for the country. Invest in the middle class is basically the way I see it. So right. that's that's my praise. I've got a gripe. I've been, I think we talked about how I was shopping for solar. And so now I've gone through like the, the process and man, it is terrible. They won't tell you how much it costs. They like to tout their 3.75 interest rate, but you're paying nothing but interest the first 18 months. And then they refinance after that. They say these are how the, the, the financing works for all of it. So I'm just so mad that everybody could be doing solar. Everyone could be saving a ton of money. They're right about that. But all the companies right now that I have seen that are offering it, they're just trying to swindle people. They're just trying to basically, they're going to take your average power payment and then just have you pay it to them for 20 years. And they know that your equipment's going to be bad in 20 years and you're going to have to buy more. And they're just counting on it. They just, they want to be your new power company, but they're just selling you a product instead of a service. And man, it's making me mad. I'm just that's pretty irritating. Yeah. Well, along those environmental angles, one of my uh, one, like, of, what's, one what's of my pet in? peeves. I've uh, one of the things I've been very involved with over the last uh, five or ten years is the uh, the whole air quality issue locally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I used to chair the uh, Weber County Air Quality Advisory Board and been involved, you know, a bunch of different levels for th with that. And you know, a day like today or you know last week, people sitting on campus, sitting in their car idling. Uh, like, really? Is this so hard to turn your do car it. off? So right. I, I take perverse pleasure in figuring <laughs> out how nice can I be when I call someone on their, you know, their weak behavior. So, you know, you approach the, you approach the car from the passenger side, you do that sort of universal gesture for rolling down <laughs> the, the Wayne's window. The Wayne's World thing? Uh -huh. You're like, what, what is that, right? <laughs> the Grey Poupon thing? I have a button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they roll it down and they give it this look. So, and you, what, what do you say, right? You can't just criticize them. It's like, dude, turn off your car. So I'll, I'll, it's like, you know, I'm wondering, it's, it's a really nice day out, and I'm wondering, is there a reason that your car needs to be on? You're running a computer or, uh -huh. you know, a hydraulic jack or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, what's the, what's the weak link here? And as soon as, you real, when, as soon as they realize that they've been called on something that mm -hmm. they know they really don't need to be doing, mm. I get the F-bomb uh -huh. three times out of four. That's Are you serious? Oh, yeah. They get pissed? Especially from women. Oh! It's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, Really? You right, went, you went there. I was like, almost apologetically nice about bothering you. <laughs> right, of course I'm bothering you, so but, maybe that's uh, part of it. But. but there's absolutely no way you can approach it, even when they no, realize. No, and I and I get the argument when it's 98 degrees out and it's stifling, and you're sitting in your car texting because that's usually what people are doing is they're just sitting in their car texting. Right. And okay, it's 98 degrees out, but it's 72, light breeze, April. 
Could it be any more comfortable? <laughs> yeah, just right. roll the windows down. You know, and then yeah. and in the winter, there's actually no excuse either because you've got three layers of clothes on. Yeah. If you actually turned your car off and measured the temperature in here, it won't drop by six degrees over the next twenty minutes. Uh-huh. You could sit here, but no, cars are going to run the entire time. Even oh, it's a red day. I don't care. Yeah, because I'm good. Right. Yeah. One of those pet peeves. Yeah. I'm just a drop in the bucket. So, yeah. What do I matter? Yeah. In yours, diesel F350, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah. That's everything we've got today. Thank you so much, Ian, okay, for coming pleasure. by, sharing all your knowledge. Everybody, you can email us, junctioncitypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on all the socials Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Junction City Podcast. Uh, and I guess that's it. That's uh, I was every- going to say, one, one thing I would pl- plug is, uh, please, if you would, go ahead and rate us on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah. Give us a rating. helps us to get found by other folks who care about politics in the Junction City here. That's so, right. Please review and please rate. Please review and rate. All right. Like we say every week, all politics is local. Yeah, it's just another podcast. It's like the